Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. I want to thank you for coming back for another week of travel news, travel tips, and travel chats. Travel and tourism accounts for 10.4% of global GDP and nearly 10% of jobs. Business travel makes up a significant portion of that. Today, we're getting back to the business of travel. Business travel, that is. The CEO of one of the largest travel trade shows will join me later on as we discuss business travel, what it is, and why you may want to ask your employer to get involved. (laughs) You could certainly benefit from it. And as always, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute, and I'll have the Arab culturalist on to talk with me on the culture report. And we're going to ask you a question. Do you have cultural EQ? Yeah, it's a thing. (laughs) But right now, we're going to get into a little travel news. Now, this story is from a social media post titled, When Kins Unite. Yeah, we know who those kins are. They're like the Karens. Yes, a white male flight attendant was filmed attempting to move a black woman to the back of the plane after a white man refused to get up from his seat to let her into her seat. Confusing, I know. So let me explain. This is what I saw on the video and heard on the video from TikTok. So the TikTok video, which was posted on October 14th by Callie Ranting, starts with Callie Ranting asking to get to her seat. In the video, a white male passenger is seated in an aisle seat and Ranting is attempting to get to her window seat in that same row right next to him. The white male flight attendant is standing in front of her and blocking the row where her seat is located. And the passenger is sitting in the aisle seat refusing to get up and allow Ms. Ranting access to her assigned seat. Ranting claims that the flight attendant was trying to usher her to the back of the plane. As things got heated, another flight attendant approaches, but you only hear her voice. Ranting says in her post, When the Kens unite, but the black woman is there to save the day again. Well, the other flight attendant is a black female and she takes over the situation and asks the seated passenger to show his boarding pass. It turns out the aisle seat he is in and blocking access from Miss Ranting is not even his assigned seat. He's then asked to move and Miss Ranting is then allowed to access her assigned seat problem solved, which really shouldn't have been a problem at all. So here are my questions. Why was the passenger trying to block another passenger from sitting in their assigned seat? He just didn't want her sitting next to him? I don't know. Why did the flight attendant aid the passenger in blocking another passenger from sitting in their assigned seat? And why didn't the first flight attendant provide assistance to both passengers? Inquiring minds want to know. And passenger used the hashtag JetBlue. So we're assuming she was on a JetBlue flight. And there's been no follow-up from JetBlue or Miss Ranting on her social media pages. So let's just see if we get an update. Now there's a Ghanaian Brit who developed wireless earbuds that can translate 40 languages. Now here's what's so special about it. He's a tech entrepreneur and has added innovation to wireless earbuds with his own invention. His name is Danny Manu, a Ghanaian British man, developed these earbuds that auto-translate other languages. And according to Keep the Faith, the earbuds can live translate over 40 languages. That's what's so special about it. So if you're in a conversation with someone, you can turn on those earbuds and it's going to automatically and real time translate what the person is saying to you. The product is called Click and it's said to be the world's 
first truly wireless earphones with live voice translation supporting 40 languages. The wireless Bluetooth headset works by pairing it to a smartphone. The earbuds then automatically detect the language being spoken and provide a spoken translation within a sentence or two. Click does not require internet like similar inventions. The device under the My Manu brand has won customers across Europe, United States, and Asia. Manu built his business through self-financing. And he says, like all the other ethnic minority businesses within the United Kingdom, I had a hard time getting the funding and financial support from banks and government funded programs. And according to Keep the Face, Manu raised over $5 million on crowdfunding websites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. For other aspiring entrepreneurs who want to venture into the tech space, Manu says, focus on your successes and believe in yourself. If you surround yourself with your accomplishments and don't stop believing in your dreams, you'll have a real chance. Some more news coming out of London from the Transport for London. It teams up with Black Cultural Archives to launch Britain's first ever Black History Tube map. Now, if you're familiar with London, the tube is the nickname for the London Underground or what we call our subway system. It's a reimagined map and it celebrates the rich and varied contribution black people have made to London and the United Kingdom from pre-Tudor times to present day. The launch of the map coincides with Black History Month and the 40th anniversary of Black Cultural Archives in Brixton. Yes, the United Kingdom or England has its own Black History Month. The map, which can be viewed at tfl.gov UK replaces station names across the iconic tube map with notable black people from history with the associated tube lines renamed to link them together by common themes. For example, firsts and trailblazers, Georgians, sports, arts, LGBTQ+, physicians, performers, literary world, and community organizers. The map aims to highlight how black people have played an intrinsic role in all parts of British life for thousands of years. The map was created in partnership with Black Cultural Archives in Brixton, the home of black British history that was conceived in 1981 as a monument to collect, preserve and celebrate the histories of people of African and Caribbean descent in the United Kingdom. Fascinating figures from British black history can be found on the map. For example, Cecile Nobrega, an accomplished classical composer, poet, sculptor, and educator who led a 15-year campaign to establish a monument in Stockwell Memorial Gardens. There's HMS Queen Charlotte's sailor and captain for the foretop, William Brown, the first black woman to serve in the Royal Navy by disguising herself as a man replaces Baron's Court Station. Norwich-born Pablo Van Q, equestrian extraordinaire and hugely successful Victorian circus owner, immortalized in the Beatles song being for the benefit for Mr. Kite, replaces Embankment Station. The unique map will be available to buy as a poster online in person at Black Cultural Archives in Brixton and via their online shop blackculturalarchives.org. The mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, said, Black history is London's history, and I'm determined to create a more equal city where black lives truly matter. Awesome. I think I want to take that tour. United Airlines plans the largest transatlantic expansion in its history. United unveiled plans for the largest transatlantic route expansion in its history by including 10 new flights and five new destinations, Amman, Jordan, Bergen, Norway, Azores, Portugal, Palma de Mallorca in Spain, and Tenerife in the Spanish Canary Islands. All of the new routes, which are set to begin in spring 2022, are not served by any other North American carrier. Next year, United also will add new flights to five European destinations, Berlin, Dublin, Milan, Munich, and Rome. And finally, the airline will launch 
seven routes that were interrupted due to the pandemic to Bangalore, Frankfurt, Tokyo's Haneda Airport, Nice, and Zurich. And unfortunately, one airline is no more. That's Alitalia. Alitalia, the flagship carrier for Italy, took off for its last flight on October 14th with a service from Cagliari to Rome. So everyone saying ciao bella to the Italian flag carrier's 75 years of service that has come to an end. Alitalia was Europe's third largest airline in the late 1960s, just behind British Airways and Air France. But unfortunately, the airline had been losing money since 2008. Alitalia will be replaced with a new state airline, ITA. Wolf Creek has opened first for the skiing season and other Colorado resorts plan to follow with openings. Wolf Creek is opening Saturday, October 16th after the resort received 14 inches of fresh snow. Yes, in October. It's the second year in a row where Wolf Creek will be the first Colorado resort to open. Several resorts saw fresh powder fall from the winter storm that happened last Tuesday. And snowmaking is underway as they gear up for the 2021 and 2022 ski season. So starting from this weekend through the middle of December, the ski resorts in Colorado will be opening and other places too. Inglewood is getting some fresh new businesses and they're all black owned. 1010 Wine is Inglewood's first and only black owned wine bar. 1010 North La Brea Avenue is in the heart of Inglewood, California and it's a contemporary Black-owned wine bar. It's fitting that sisters Leslie and Leanne Jones looked to Inglewood to open their wine bar. Inglewood is one of the most populated Black neighborhoods in Southern California, and the Joneses are Inglewood natives. Leanne and Leslie say they have always loved wine and couldn't find any places to wine and dine in Inglewood, so they imagined their own business. Their range of experiences have helped them to start their business, including being an attorney, wedding planning, and, of course, drinking wine. 1010 Wine Bar has a selection of starters and entrees to go with their selection of wines. And of course, there's a charcuterie board. No self-respecting wine bar would be without one. <laughs> 1010 Wine Bar also has a large selection of Black-owned wine brands. They also offer a membership, which includes a free tasting and two bottles of Black-owned wine. The wine bar is a rentable space for private events as well. Also in Inglewood, Issa Ray has a new coffee shop and kitchen, and it's officially open for business. Hilltop Coffee and Kitchen is said to be a space that creatives of all genres will want to gather at. From a video from Issa Ray's Instagram, she says, I've always wanted a coffee shop in my neighborhood. Coffee shops facilitate productivity in so many ways. They facilitate collaboration. And I personally have done all of my writing in coffee shops. So it always disappointed me that there weren't any that were black owned or people of color owned in my neighborhood. The name Hilltop is said to represent the hill that the creators of all walks take to reach their dreams and goals while overcoming obstacles along the way. And that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute and a chat with CEO Karina Bauer on getting back to the business of travel. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. Head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. Follow us on social media and join that travel club. Why? Because we're going places. We're going to Ghana and we still have space available January 21st through January 29th and also to Dubai, an ultra luxurious trip, Dubai and beyond with an extension to the Maldives. All you have to do is go over to the website, travelingculturati.com and check it out. 
And now, Javon's Travel Minute. If you're not flying business class or first class and want access to airport lounges, here are some ways to gain access without the pricey ticket. One of the best and most popular ways to gain access is with the right travel credit card. You've seen the commercials. One in particular has Samuel Jackson in it. Some of the top ones are Capital One, Chase Sapphire, American Express Platinum, and many of the airline branded credit cards. They will all give you perks for that particular airline. American Express has its own lounges. Centurion, mainly born out of a loss of relationships with many of the other airlines. However, they still have partnerships with Delta Sky Lounges and many others globally with Priority Pass Select. Now, not all credit cards are the same or offer the same benefits, so you'll have to apply and qualify for specific ones for those benefits that fit your needs. You can also buy a day pass. However, they are subject to availability and may have restrictions based on hours and how busy or full the lounge is on any given day. There are also annual passes that you can purchase. So do your research and get a card that will pay you back for your hard-earned spending. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. In 2019, business travel made up 30% of total spending in the United States travel market. And as a result, the number of jobs supported by business travel in the United States was over $2.5 million. According to the Global Business Travel Association, $1.3 trillion is spent on business travel worldwide. 1.3 million business trips are taken in the U.S. every day and almost 10% of business trips can be categorized as leisure trips. That's mixing business with pleasure. The business travel sector is slowly returning and getting back to the business of travel. Chatting with me today is AEO Chair and CEO of IMEX Group, Karina Bauer. Hello, Karina, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, Javon. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining me. I am so excited because I get to live in both worlds of travel, business, and pleasure. (laughs) So it's the the leisure. (laughs) Exactly. Well, let's first talk about these acronyms. AEO Chair, what does that mean? Yes. So the AEO is the Association of Event Organisers based in the UK, and it's a volunteer role. And I'm taken on the role of chair this year. So that started in September and will run through to next September. And yes, so we are really an association that represents all types of event organisers. It was originally set up by trade show organisers, but it's expanded recently to really encompass all different types of events. I see. And that's very instrumental for your other role, which is CEO of IMEX Group. So let's talk about that acronym. Absolutely. Well, IMEX Group, so that's the day job, if you will. Um, So the IMEX Group is a really exhibition, a trade show business. We run the two largest global trade shows for the meetings, events, incentive travel industry. So really any events that can be categorized as a business event is the type of event that our exhibitors and our buyers represent. And IMEX takes place annually in Frankfurt in the spring and annually in the fall in Las Vegas. Obviously, the last couple of years, we haven't been able to run our shows, but we are just in the build up to our first show in two years, which will take place in Las Vegas from the 9th to the 11th of November. And to just give the listeners a bit of an understanding of the kind of exhibitors and buyers we have Our exhibitors are largely destinations, so we have countries exhibiting, cities, convention centres, all the major hotel groups who are really showcasing their facilities to be able to host large or small business events and incentive travel programmes as well. So we have a lot of resorts, we have the cruise lines luxury trainer and then technology as well and really the full supply chain to support the business events industry globally. And it's why I love it so much because it's one-stop shopping in the travel business. 
as a professional, it's sometimes very challenging to reach out or to connect with different suppliers. And you have so many of them under one umbrella, <laughs> under one ceiling, yeah. which is That's which is right. fantastic. Yes. And our exhibitors represent 150 different countries and our visitors are coming from anywhere between 80 and 100 countries. So as you say, it's a real one-stop shop. And I think efficiency is very important where we're looking at air miles and carbon footprint. It's a very efficient way to kind of meet the world under one roof. That it certainly is. And I want to absolutely say that I am happy that IMEX America found its home in Vegas. I know you tried out a few cities in the United States before until it finally landed (laughs) in Las Vegas, which I think is the perfect place for it. Yeah, well, actually, we always launched in Las Vegas. There were some other shows, you're right, in our marketplace that were in other cities. There was one traditionally for many years in Chicago, and then there was one that tried out a few different cities, and those don't exist anymore. But yeah, we actually always had picked Las Vegas because... And it is, of course, the largest convention city in the United States and, and possibly in the world, I think. And people just love to be in Las Vegas. And it was just um, always a fantastic home for us. I think that IMEX's role in the marketplace is a very large one. But as you mentioned earlier, there are many travel trade exhibitions that happen globally. But IMEX is certainly one of, if not the largest Yes, it is. That's right. So there are many trade shows and events and forums that take place in our marketplace, of course. Many of them are regional or even national, and they serve a great purpose to bring in some of those smaller suppliers. Ours is a very global show, and it's global both in terms of the exhibitors that are there represented, but also in terms of the buyers as well. And that's always been very important to us. The buyers both buy and place their events globally and also come from different regions of the world and different countries. And so both our shows are very global in scope, which overall has been fantastic over our 20 year sort of history. And the past two years has led to definitely more challenges than than sort of a national show would face. But we wouldn't have it any other way because it really is what makes IMEX special, bringing those global communities together. It certainly does. And you mentioned one aspect. I think that a lot of people will just by word association would know a conference as far as a type of business travel. But what about incentive? You mentioned incentive for the audience to explain what incentive travel is and how it relates to the business sector. Yes, absolutely. Incentive travel. And just to say, I was last year in 2020, I was the chair of the site, so Society of Incentive Travel Excellence, their foundation. So I've been involved with the incentive travel industry uh, very heavily. Incentive travel essentially is when companies seek to motivate their staff or clients, and they do so obviously in many different ways, but the most powerful way research has shown for actually motivating staff or clients to perform in a certain way to maybe hit certain goals is actually through incentive travel. So the classic really is sales teams traditionally have been incentivized throughout a year and the the top performing sales managers, for example, would be rewarded by an incentive travel experience, often for them and maybe their partners or families as well. And it's really taking those groups of high-performing individuals on programs that they just couldn't access or buy for themselves. Sometimes that's because maybe they wouldn't afford to be able to afford to, but usually it's because the experiences that are created are experiences that are kind of once-in-a-lifetime experiences that only the incentive travel professionals in each destination can really access. So whether that's sort of doing dinner in a palace that you wouldn't normally be able to go into, or I've done things like having the Vatican City to ourselves for an evening. There are so many amazing experiences out there. And so really being able to say to your clients or your staff, if you perform to this level, 
this is what we'll give you to say thank you immensely motivating and these programs have been shown to work and obviously it's a type of business travel but it's really what we would call group travel so you're taking groups of people to a destination for these very specific experiences and often they do include meetings and product launches and all sorts of things with it but it really is about giving them that very special money can't buy experience. Yes. And so I would implore you that if the company that you're working for does not have an incentive program, it might be something that you want to suggest to them. (laughs) And they can do that in a small or a large way. It really is up to the company and the budget that they have or may have for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because these things can be scaled up or down depending on the need. And as you say, the budget and more and more HR professionals are looking at these programs to expand them. So I gave you the very traditional example of, you know, the sales team that are motivated to do X, Y and Z. But more and more, because these types of events and trips are so motivating, people are looking at how they can really utilize them throughout the whole organization to really motivate different behaviors and change management because really you know what we do in terms of sort of looking at company culture this fits very neatly into everything to do with sort of creating a positive company culture and one of the things that we think will come out of the pandemic especially due to remote work is that if teams are going fully remote which some are or largely remote they're going to need to come together more frequently, not just for meetings, but actually to innovate, to be creative, and simply to get to know each other and to build themselves as a team, to build that team spirit, if you like. And so one of the things we believe that will come out of the pandemic is a need for more of these sort of incentive meeting type trips to be arranged to really build that team spirit. I agree with you 100% and even more now than ever, as you mentioned. So I want to talk about how the pandemic has really affected business travel and because it's one of the last sectors of travel, I think, to really get going again while we are slowly returning to it. But getting back to the business of travel has been and still is a slow return. You said that the last IMEX that you had either Frankfurt or the U.S. was two years ago. So you have the spring for Frankfurt and you have the fall for Las Vegas. So when was the last of each? Yes. So the last Frankfurt show was May 2019 and the last Vegas show was September 2019. So over two years for both of them. And obviously we were very close to the Frankfurt show in 2020 when the world stopped and we had to um, sadly cancel it two months out. And what has it taken to get back to business with IMEX? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, I feel that we never stopped because we kept in very close contact with our clients, with all the destinations and hotel groups and and also the buyers throughout that two year period. And we kept close to them, whether that was some of the digital events that we did for them or whether it was just simply keeping in touch with them and seeing how they were and being on the phone with them and supporting them in that way. In terms of getting back to business, you know, true business and setting up a show again, we're obviously very hopeful early this year that we would be able to run IMEX America in November because we were looking at the vaccines being rolled out and we felt strongly from what we could see that it was likely that Q4 would be, we would be able to run a show. We didn't obviously know that for certain, but we kind of went full steam ahead with that hope. And so I think what it's really been is just a massive exercise in flexibility, agility, dealing with changing plans, communicating those changes to the clients, working with them to really help them to be as flexible as they needed to be as well, which often means making decisions for them and us far later than would be normal. And with that comes partnerships, because if we couldn't rely on our partners and our suppliers in the destination to be flexible, then we couldn't have provided that flexibility to our clients. And so 
you know, we've always had a sort of partnership mentality and a real true partnership ecosystem around each show, but that's been so valuable over the past couple of years and certainly for setting up IMEX America. And so, you know, that's really been the key elements that have been critical over the past few months. And what can attendees expect in coming back to the first IMEX since the pandemic? Yeah, actually, you know, they can expect a very normal show in many regards. We've obviously had to put in place very important safety aspects. For example, we do have a vaccine mandate for the show and we're asking people to, you know, we will be verifying that on site. We have really thought through the experience of attending the show, trying very hard to eliminate crowding, hosted by lounges double the size it normally would be. Our education areas are double the size. We have a big perimeter around the show so that if people need space, they can get it. Lots more seating areas, you know, on the show floor. So we're really trying to make it a very comfortable experience. And then also through things like the vaccine verification and enhanced cleaning routines and improve ventilation from the venue as safe an experience as possible as well. So it's both comfortable and safe. But apart from that, actually, I think people will be hopefully very pleasantly surprised to see that it's a very normal show. We have exhibitors from all over the world attending. We have a very robust educational program with over 150 sessions. We have all our partners present. We have networking receptions and parties, as they would expect. And, you know, we already have well over 20,000 appointments have been made between buyers and exhibitors. So in many respects, it's very normal. And I think people will be very heartened by that. And I know that people are like are just so excited to see each other again from all across the world. Now, you mentioned a vaccine mandate. Will there also be a COVID testing or having to produce a negative COVID test prior to entering? No, we are going fully with the vaccine mandate. So people will need to verify that they're vaccinated to be able to enter the show. We will have a testing centre on site for people who wish to get a test or for our international participants who require a test for going back to their home countries. But for entry to the show, it's vaccine only. I see. Now, is IMEX open to the general public, anybody who feels like they need to? put themselves in front of suppliers or is it B2B only? It's B2B only. Obviously, anybody can register, but we do want them to have a connection and business within the business events industry or the business travel. We do get people, especially agencies coming who do represent business travel as well as what we would call group travel which is more aligned to business events so definitely that does happen but yeah b2b only and the people on the booths are used to dealing with b2b so it wouldn't be appropriate for general consumers to come in yes now you mentioned earlier and and so i want to circle back to that that since the pandemic there's been largely remote communication and remote business travel, if you will. What are your thoughts on that changing as we get back to in-person and physical business travel? Ultimately, you know, my experience over the past few months, because I've got back to business travel in the past couple of months, is that people are very fatigued of the online and are really very, very desperate in a way to see people in person and reconnect. I think in the first few months of the pandemic, obviously, online was a lifesaver and really gave us a way to keep those connections going and those relationships going. But what I've personally found over the past 18 months is that it's been useful to keep those connections going, but they do wane over time if you're only connecting with somebody online. And it's very hard to make many new, not just connections, but true relationships to build trust online. And so I think that the online tools are fantastic for efficiency, for helping people keep those relationships going between their in-person meetings. But I do feel quite strongly that business travel 
is going to come back very strongly, I think, in 22 and 23. And I believe that the online will not go away because people have seen that not everything needs a trip, but there will be different trips that, you know, come in to take that time. So I really do believe business travel and group travel is going to come back extremely strongly for the reasons you know, that I've explained. Yes. Now, of course, the United States has just changed its requirements and opened its borders, not officially yet, not until November. (laughs) Was that a big factor in you deciding to move forward with IMEX America for November of this year? It wasn't a big factor in deciding to move forward because obviously we decided that months ago and the US, they made the announcement on, I think, 20th of September that they'd be opening in November And only last Friday did they make the announcement of the exact date. So obviously everything was in place for us already. Interestingly, you know, the majority of the world today can travel into the United States with a negative PCR test taken three days prior. It really was affecting only 33 countries of which Europe and the UK made up the majority of those. So as far as our show was concerned, we knew that we could still run the show, albeit it would have been very disappointing to run a show like ours without a strong contingent from Europe and from the UK because they're so important and they were so desperate to come as well. Many of the exhibitors and buyers have been successful in getting national interest exemptions and many of them, like our team in fact, were prepared to travel for two weeks to another location, say Mexico or Canada, and then fly into the US. So we knew that we had a sort of core contingent from Europe, but certainly knowing that the borders will now be open for November the 8th, there's been a real scramble from Europe to book flights and to get in because it is just as we would say in the UK in the nick of time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it certainly was. What are your thoughts for the coming year? In terms of 2022, we are really excited, actually. You know, we can see the US announcing the borders opening on November the 8th, just that, the momentum and the shift and the excitement across our global industry has just been massive over the past few days. And so I think that bodes really well for 2022. And, you know, we have, for IMEX, we have what we call the large-scale hosted buyer program. So those buyers who place events business in the US and globally, we actually host them to come to the show. And so that means that we pay for their travel and accommodation and to attend. And as I say, you know, they've already made thousands of appointments with our exhibitors. So we know that there is business to be placed in the group market and in the meetings industry. And we know that there's huge pent up demand for that. And many of the destinations are telling us that they already have very constrained calendars for 22 and even into 23, because so many programs have been shifted and postponed and that now new programs are trying to be booked. So we think that the next year or two is going to be extremely busy and we can see that there's a lot of business coming into the pipeline. Obviously, we need the world to stay open for that to be realised. But assuming it does, I think that there's going to be a really strong rebound. It certainly is. And I think so, too. And I'm not coming this year, but one of my colleagues is. So our company will be represented there to meet with some of the suppliers that are coming in. And yes, we, too, were excited that the United States reopened its borders, especially to Europe, because we do have quite a few European destinations that our clients are looking into. So, yes, I think we're all excited about the return of travel and getting back to the business of travel, because the business end of it is what drives it, really. Um, and, and there's a lot of business related to travel that I think that is often underestimated. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's been one of the difficult things for both the business travel industry and indeed the business events industry to really be able to communicate those additional benefits, which we know are there, but are hard to actually measure. And I think had politicians understood those better, I think maybe travel wouldn't have been so far down the list of industries to be both supported in the height of the pandemic and also to be opened. And maybe that's something 
that we could take out of this pandemic is to really learn how to capture those benefits and articulate them in a more robust way. If your business does incentive trips, have corporate travel, IMEX is certainly an event that you should attend or you should send a company representative to attend. If your company is not doing incentive travel, it's certainly something that you want to consider. I think especially now as we're getting back to the business of travel so that you can incentivize your employees and your staff for their hard work, especially through this pandemic year. Karina, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and giving us such insight into business travel and the marketplace, which is IMAX. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to speak to you. When I come back, we'll have more on our culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, travelingculturati.com. Go ahead and check it out. And while you're there, follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. And I am so honored and so excited to have a chat with Nasif Kayed, founder and CEO of the Arab Culturalists, a business consulting firm providing cultural intelligence workshops and an expert advice on Arab and Emirati culture. Well, hello, Nasif, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Jovan. How are you? I am great, thanks. And thank you so much for joining me. I know we have a nine-hour difference. Uh, It's been a bit of a challenge for us, but we made it happen. (laughs) There's always a window of opportunity. (laughs) Always, yeah. You just got to try. Now, I read in your bio that you hold an advanced certification in CQ from the Cultural Intelligence Center in the United States. So excuse my ignorance, but I didn't know such a certificate existed, let alone here in the United States. So please explain. Yeah, well, it's different centers really that offer certification, but the one in Pennsylvania, United States of America, has really done a good job of dissecting the concept of how you look at uh, culture and how do you try to understand it and conquer it. So... You know, we took the course, actually it was Malaysia where we went and took the course and took CQ1, CQ2, that way you certified as a trainee and as a trainer, the trainer, train the trainer. It's good, it added to my portfolio of knowledge that, you know, for some people, you know, it is very important for them to get some kind of organized way of trying to understand it. So therefore, what is it that I need to know about a culture that I have no idea about? So we say always, you know... This is the process of how you to follow it. I'm really fascinated by that. One of my aesthetics, especially my travel aesthetics, is a culturally immersive experience when you go to a destination. And so I was really excited. And so was my husband and executive producer of the show, Gene Harley, when he first sat in on one of your workshops when we had a group to Dubai. He was really blown away by your presentation and really wanted me to connect with you. So how and why did you start the Arab Culturalist? Well, you know, before this academically stuff that comes out where people try to teach you emotional intelligence, cultural intelligence, lots of different titles. For us, we as an individual, as a human being, when you want to go into a different world of people, uh, people like when I, when I first left here after high school to go to the United States of America, that's in North Carolina, to go there to college. I found out I had no idea who Americans are. I thought that I knew Americans from TV. I remember when they asked me, where are you from? And they could tell only the word Arab. And always, always, I got this question, are you oil-rich Arab? And I started to ask them, what do you mean by oil-rich Arab? I said, do you have an oil well? I said, yeah, in the backyard. 
uh, and you know this is to me it was like how do these guys have no idea who we are i mean it's united states of america they should know better right but they didn't but then also i had and this is when i started to dissect and differentiate between conception misconception and perception i said wait a second i've been in north carolina now for quite some time where are the blonde hair blue eyes women and they said, what do you mean? I said, blonde hair, blue eyes, women, all of you, the guys got brown hair and black hair, ladies, what's going on here? This is where we come from. That's what we have. So how do you know we have blonde hair, blue eyes, women? I said, from TV. I said, oh, you have TV? I said, yeah, we have TV, of course. <laughs> so how can you have a TV in the tent? Like you just asked me if I'm old, rich, Arab. And now you ask me if I still live in a tent. Is that really what are you saying? And this is the shock of my life when I was like, Wait a second. And so therefore, I started to learn how I can explain my culture. My God, I knew none of the answers of the questions that I had in my mind or that the people asked me to tell you the truth. And I started to dig in because, you know, when you're born and raised, you never ask yourself, oh, why do I dress like this? Why do I talk like this? Why do I eat like this? But that's culture. Everything you go about doing the way you're doing it is your culture. When I travel the world and I meet people and I learn more about their culture is that I learn so much more about myself through this process. Now, besides being a rich <laughs> Arab who lives in a tent, <laughs> what, yeah, right. other, what other big misperceptions of the Arab culture that you've come across? Well, it's like, you know, gosh, it's become, you know, thousands of questions throughout time and at different times in different eras it does dictate like what's going on in the media it does dictate the perception of the people so therefore it depends on what's the subject matter of the era but the things that always remain untouched and one of the most frequently asked questions is usually what do you have on what is that thing what do you call your dress and i always joke with them and i say what's your language we don't wear dresses it has a name okay and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm like, no, no, no. See, this is how tense you are. Just relax, ask the question. And I always have to explain, you know, that long white draping cloth that we have and what is that thing on our head? And I always take my article, the black, you know, what we call it, egal on top of my head. And I say, oh, have you ever seen movies of Jesus be upon him or Moses or Abraham? And they say, yeah. I say, didn't they look like this now? Say, so, oh gosh, I never thought about that way. I say, yeah, you never see them depicted in movies, in pants and suits and ties, because this is the way they dress for humanity. Originally, it's practical. It covers you from the weather element. And then it's modest. It covers your body. There is no difference between body parts and sizes. I mean, I say, well, this is the region where we live in. If you really try to figure out, we're not invented after the oil discovery we actually are a region where Abraham and Jesus, peace be upon them, and Moses, peace be upon him, and Joseph and Mary and Zechariah, and all of them, peace be upon them, lived. They never went to America. They never went to Europe. They were here when what we call today Middle East. Oh, I never knew. I, and this is really when you just like open bulbs inside people's heads and they're like, wow, now I am just so fascinated. And they start, like you said earlier, self-reflect. Yes. Why well, never never I thought of that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you gave us the name of the headpiece, but what about? And I <laughs> certainly will not call it a dress. But what about the article? <laughs> it's called Kandora. Kandora in the UAE, we call it Kandora, and then in Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, we call it Thoub, T H O U B. In Kuwait, we call it Dish Dasha. So each region has a different name and a different color and a different design, a little bit, you know, tweaked to their own liking. But the black ring is called Igal. The white scarf on top of your head is called Vutra. And the entire dress called Kandora. This is in the UAE. Of course, for the ladies, and that's the biggest, second most frequently asked question, why do the ladies wear black? Why do they cover their head? And of course, that's very interesting subject interaction. I always say, look at Mary, peace be upon her, and all her pictures depicted in all churches. When you go to church, just take a look. And their scarf is called uh, Sheila. Their dress called Abaya. And it comes in the color black. I'm not going to explain to you everything about why black, but I tell you what, black is very thin, very soft, very light, but yet it's discreet. So therefore, it doesn't show through where white, what men wear, 
does show through. So there is, you know, uh, the lack of being conservative for women, black suits them better. Talking about culture versus religion, because I think that's probably one of the biggest misunderstandings when you talk mm -hmm. about the Arab culture and the Islamic religion. Yeah, people mix the two. Even born and raised here, you are born and raised by your family and they tell you this is how it is. You know, and sometimes they even go as boldly as God said, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, but you never go back and research it, come to find out that they've been told that by their parents and grandparents wrong. And it's actually was culture. And throughout the whole time, they turned it into religion because that's more impacting. And you're like, oh, my God, I don't want to do something wrong with the religion. But it's our job to learn. And our responsibility is to do the research ourselves and to do the findings ourselves. And this is one of my, you know, like blessings in life that I remember at the age of, I would say, let's say 13, I was very challenging to my mom and dad. Why does he say that? Like, I remember when I asked my dad, why do we wear white? He said, why? What's wrong with white? I'm like, Dad, I didn't ask you what's wrong with it. I mean, do you really know the reason why all of a sudden all of us nonstop wear white in so many countries like this, especially the GCC countries, which is the Gulf Council countries, by the way. And he didn't know. And until today, a lot of people have a big misconception about that, you know, white is, some of them think it's religion because it's pure. I say, so what is black? And they stay quiet because they don't have an answer. So what about, what? oh, it reflects heat. I say, what about black? Observes heat. This is why Westerners, when they come here, they say, oh, you are mean men. You chose white for yourself because it reflects heat and you make the women wear black to torture them outside because it, you know, it observes heat. I was like, yeah, but you don't know our culture. Our women torture us inside the house. We torture them outside the house. <laughs> you know, I try to make fun of it, but it's not true. It's all misconception. It has nothing to do with the religion. It has to do with the fact of the matter is just like what I say usually, why jeans is blue. When did it start becoming blue? Why did it remain to be blue for as long as we have had jeans from day one? I know the story, by the way. Do share. <laughs> la, la, la. No, no, no. <laughs> this is the good things about, you know, when you have the sea for yourselves and, you know, we get our sessions and, you know, good thing about my sessions where they are forever engraved in people's heads that they come to. They say, oh, gosh, it's just like all of a sudden so many things make sense to me in this life of culture and misunderstanding of religion. And I'm like, yeah, because it took me, you know, it's a lifetime of experience and questions and research and asking older people, say, where did you come up with this? How did this come about in your life? And this is when you find out the beauty of how things just convert themselves into being part of our lives and we don't know where they started from. But somehow or another, we either put them in the category of religion or put them in the category of culture. And sometimes we just mix the two together. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Such an You're honor welcome. and a pleasure speaking with you. How can someone attend one of your workshops in Dubai? Well, you know, the Arab culturalist, www.thearabculturalist.com. It's one way you could check with me or send me a message on one of the social medias, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Nasif, N-A-S-I-F-K-A-Y-E-D, Nasif Kayed, my first and last name. Don't hesitate. Anything that you have in mind that you would like to ask me as a question, you feel free, no problem. But at the same time, if you do come to Dubai, please let me know because I could be a great addition to your party, to your group, to your visit over here. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for joining me. Thank you. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.